Hi, my name is Anna Self, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Man, I just love the privilege of gathering together. I love our gatherings and it's really just such a special time for us to come together and, and we get to ask questions like the one that's going to be on the screen. And here's the question I'm going to start with this morning. What is your purpose? Now, for some of us in this room, this may catch us off guard because we're so busy that we don't really take time to think about our purpose. So by a show of hands, how many of you this week had more to do than you got done? Raise your hand, authenticity all across the room. Keep your hands up for just a minute. You had more to do than you got done. Now, look around the room, find someone whose hand isn't raised and go, I want your life. Can we trade spots? Really? You know, look. Just switch it out. I mean, really, you know, the thing is, sometimes we're just so busy that we can't get done what we need to get done. The, uh, Friday, I got to spend just a few minutes and just a little bit of time with a couple from Atlanta. They're friends of mine, and they were just up in the Chattanooga area because they had a few days off, and they were just going to spend quality time together, and I just felt my jealousy rising. I'm like, you have days off and time spent together. Oh, you know, but sometimes we see people, and they've got a little bit of margin in their lives, and it just frustrates us. In fact, some of you in this room, you just now got to a point a few moments ago where you stopped thinking about work, and when I ask that question, your spouse goes, oh, geez, here we go again. We finally stopped thinking about work. But the reality is when we get back to the office on Monday, there's a pile of stuff there that we just didn't get to. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there's some of us in this room who didn't raise our hands, and you honestly feel a little bit insignificant because you didn't. So you, you may have some guilt because... You really don't have a whole lot to do, and you may feel like you're just kind of floating through life without a clear direction. See, sometimes we feel guilt if we're not busy, and that's why when people ask us, how are you doing, and we've just binge-watched season two of our favorite Netflix episode, and really the only thing on the schedule is season three, and we're just waiting for that to start, but we still respond, swamped, I'm just so busy, because at times when we don't have a lot to do, we begin to feel like, well, maybe my lack of busyness means that I'm insignificant. So this question, what is my purpose? I think it hits us no matter where we're at on the spectrum, because there's a spectrum. And it goes all the way from I'm overwhelmed, there's so much to do, to I don't have a lot to do, and I feel kind of aimless. But at both ends of the spectrum and really everywhere on it, we still struggle with the question, where is or what is my purpose? Because we're busy. The fact is, we're probably too overwhelmed to even consider the question. Like, who has time to sit down and reflect about your purpose when you're just trying to get stuff done so you can get home in time for dinner so that your spouse isn't mad at you, so that for once this week, you can just see your kids before they go to bed? Anybody living that kind of life? And on the other end of the spectrum, if you don't have anything to do, when you think about the question, what is my purpose, you may have time to answer, but you feel like you don't have a good answer. And so that leaves you just feeling a little bit aimless and directionless. And I'm speaking in general terms, but the reality is I think most of us can contextualize our lives and figure out that we fall somewhere on this spectrum and we can connect to this. And that's one of the reasons that I love our gatherings. Because earlier this morning at 9.30, you guys are here at 11.30, we'll have a crew or night crew here at 5.30. And so we're at three different points today. We get to come and for an hour and 15 minutes, we just get to be still. For some of us, for the first time all week, we get to just stop. 
We don't have to worry about responding to text. So if you're still doing that, you can just stop. You're good. You can wait a few minutes. Or on the other end of the spectrum, for some of us, for the first time all week, you have something to do. But wherever we're at, we can come into this place. We can just be still and we can actually have time to reflect on the question, what is my purpose? Because if we have a solid answer to this question, I'm convinced that our life will be better whether we're absolutely slammed in that kind of season or whether we're in a season where we have lots of margin. So we just want to take a few moments this morning and we want to look at a guy whose life was filled with purpose. He had a very clear purpose and we just want to see what we can learn from him. So if you have your Bible or Bible apps, we're going to be in John chapter one. So you can just turn or click there. And as you do, I just want to clarify one aspect of purpose. This morning, we're talking about purpose with broad strokes. Okay, we can zoom in and we can think about our purpose as a parent and our purpose as an employee and our purpose as a student and get really specific, but that's for another day. Today, we want to zoom out as far as we can and we want to look at our whole lives and we want to consider what's our purpose just for existing? What is our purpose for living? Because the guy who we're going to look at, he had a clear reason for living. And so part of this so what we're doing today is just a continuation of a series that we're in. So if I could just direct your attention to the screen for just a moment, I'm going to let you know what that series is. Is that not the coolest thing ever? I know I'm really nerdy and a little weird, but I just think that's cool. That's the reason I wanted to play it. But the series is called Light. And we are actually in week two of this series called Lie, and I really like the series, A, because that's cool, but also because I think this series is really relevant. And we saw the relevance last week as we began talking about the fact that we live in a world where the darkness seems to be advancing, and we want to know if light can actually win. And we move from the darkness around us and somewhere out there to begin talking about the darkness that actually surrounds us and is in our lives. The stakes are raised. The question is way more personal. We want to know, can the light overcome my darkness? So last week, we spent a little bit of time in John chapter 1. We read a few verses, and I just want to ask us to return to John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the driving verse for this series, and we just want to begin there today. John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this verse answers our question. Our question, will light win in the end? It says, yes. There's a resounding yes to that question through this verse. But not only is that question answered with a yes, last week we discovered that Jesus is the light of the world. So everywhere we see light in this verse, we can actually substitute in Jesus. So I want to invite us to do that and read it together. Ready? Go. Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. So as we discovered this last week, a whole lot of us chose to be authentic about the darkness that's surrounding us. And some of us begin to let Jesus shine in the darkness for the very first time. So if you walked in today and you feel like you're surrounded by darkness, or maybe you missed last week and you just want to catch the beginning of the series, that talk is on our podcast. You can find our podcast on our website, publicchurch.com, or just go to our public church app and you can find it there. But we began the series from a very relevant point. And our relevance continues today as we really ask the question, what is my purpose and so we're going to pick up in John chapter 1, verse 6, and just continue on where we left off last week. 
So verse six says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So there's a man sent from God whose name was John. Now the author of this book is John, and immediately after establishing that Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome him, the author introduces another character into the story. Now, some of you may be thinking, um, is he speaking in third person? Because that's kind of weird. Like, oh, John, but it's him. No, there's two different Johns going on here. The author is a disciple of Jesus. So John, the disciple. But he, this verse is speaking of John the Baptist. And he's called John the Baptist because he taught people about repentance and he baptized people. See, the word repent means a complete change in attitude and action that is the result of surrendering to Jesus. Repent means a complete change in attitude and action that is the result of surrendering to Jesus. So as John came on the scene, what he did is he invited people to repent. He taught people that if you want to follow God, that means you must surrender to him and let him change you. And then he invited them to be baptized as an outward sign of the way Jesus was changing them on the inside. So that's why it's called John the Baptist. And he is introduced with this phrase, the phrase sent from God. So it says John the Baptist is sent from God. And this phrase indicates purpose. That God designed John to fill a unique role in his story. John has a specific purpose, and verse 7 is going to tell us that purpose. Verse 7, it says, He, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John was sent from God as a witness about the light. Now, when we hear witness, we probably think about court. And in court, a witness is someone who has to give an account of what he or she has seen or heard. So that's what a witness is. So here's what John is sent to do, to give an account of what he has seen and heard about Jesus. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, uh, where are we going with this? And what does this have to do with my purpose? Here's where we're going. John's purpose is the purpose of every Jesus follower. So for those of us in the room who are Jesus followers, John's purpose is our purpose. John's purpose is actually our purpose. See, after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he returned to heaven. But before he returned to heaven, he gathered up all his followers and he took a moment to remind them of their purpose. And in Acts 1.8, which is going to be on the screen, here's what Jesus said. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, here's what this is saying. John was sent from God as a witness. And here Jesus is sending out his followers as witnesses. Jesus actually uses a very similar word to the word in John chapter 1, verse 7. And they actually come from the same root word. So here's the point. Jesus is saying, hey. I'm leaving earth. In other words, God in human form is leaving earth, but I'm sending my spirit. That means that if we are a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit of God actually lives inside us, giving us the power to fill our purpose. And what is the purpose of a Jesus follower? To be witnesses about the light. The purpose of Jesus followers is that we are supposed to be witnesses about the light. That was John's purpose and that is also ours. So a question we have to ask is why this purpose? And maybe even better question is why does this matter? 
So why this purpose? And if this is our purpose, why does it matter? See, it matters because of John chapter one, verse five. It says, Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. And here's the reality. There's those, some of us in this room and there are definitely people outside this room that we come in contact every day who are surrounded by darkness. And they're not only surrounded by darkness, they have no idea there's a light and his name is Jesus. They have no idea that that Jesus can shine in their darkness and that he can overcome it. And we're sitting here as Jesus followers and we know the light of the world. So we must tell them, hey, there is a hope, even though you can't see it, there is a hope of the light overcoming your darkness and that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. We must be witnesses about the light. So the people that we love, the people around us, so that some of us even in this room can begin to finally walk out of the darkness and into the light. And if we dig a little deeper, we see that we must be a particular kind of witness. See, in John 1, 7, the word for witness is actually, um, in the original language, it means a first-hand witness. It's someone who is giving an account based on first-hand knowledge. In other words, John the Baptist and those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we should be primary source witnesses. Now, when I said that, some of you in the room got a little giddy and some of you are like, what is he talking about? So the ones of you who got giddy are history majors. Any history majors in the room want to make a little noise? Woo-woo. Nobody in this gathering. Unbelievable. They were all in the 930. They got up early because they're going to go write a paper. But here's the thing. I was a history major at Lee. So if we're going to write a historical paper, History 101. If we're going to write a historical paper or if we're going to make a historical argument, our argument must be backed by sources. And there's different kinds of sources. The best kind of source is a primary source. Here's what a primary source means. I was there. I saw it. I experienced it. And this is the most reliable form of a source. But you also have secondary sources. A secondary source is someone's opinion about a primary source. I wasn't there, but he was there. I read what he wrote, and here's my thoughts on the eyewitness account. So clearly, a primary source is better. Now, some of you heard that, and all you heard was blah, 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 history, blah, 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 history, and you're like, what? Why did I come today? So to to get this out of the historical world and into something we all love, I actually brought something today that we all love, and that's food, in particular Reese's. So does anyone on the front two rows like Reese's? I need two volunteers. All right, come on up. Come on up. You guys are good. You don't want to come up? Anybody else? Anybody want a Reese's? Whitney? Reese's, come on up. My wife can come up. What is your name? Courtney. Courtney. This is Courtney. And then my wife is going to come up as well. All right, so Courtney, what I would like for you to do is, could you eat one of these? This is actually a king-size Reese's. I have a water. Now, look, this may be a little awkward for Courtney to eat in front of us all, but it's worse for all of you because you're just watching her eat the Reese's and you want it. So you can go ahead. We're just going to enjoy or watch you enjoy this Reese's, actually. Yeah, you can start with one. I'm going to let you eat both of them for sure. Can't take a Reese's away from somebody. If you're allergic to peanut butter, just slide towards the back. All right, so Courtney, go ahead. King size Reese's. What do you think? Pretty good. All right. Now, Whip, you just watched Courtney eat this Reese. So based on watching her eat it, what do you think about it? It, it looks, no, hold on. So who's the primary source? 
Courtney, she's actually eating the Reese's. Who's the secondary source? Whitney, who are you going to believe about the taste of the Reese's? Courtney, because he's actually eating it. Can we give it up for our people? And actually, well, I've got a Reese's for you. Yes. Now you can become a primary source. Yeah, just save one of those for me. I'm just saying. So hopefully that helps us understand the difference between a primary source and a secondary source. And here's why this matters for us. Jesus did not command us to be secondary sources. That Jesus said our purpose as his followers is to be a primary source about the light. In other words, it's not enough for me to say, hey, I know Lily, and I've watched Lily read the Bible, and I've clearly seen the Bible change Lily. So yeah, I mean, if you read the Bible, you'll be refined by that. It's not enough for me to say, hey, I know Caleb, and Caleb follows Jesus, and I know who Caleb used to be, I know who he is now, and Caleb's clearly been changed by Jesus. It's not enough for us to be a secondary source that just watches someone else experience Jesus and tells what we conclude about their experience. No, Jesus says, we must be primary sources. It's not enough for us to say, oh, Courtney ate the Reese's and it looked good. We've got to taste and see for ourselves if Jesus really is good. So in our lives, we can't just say, oh, he did it and she did this and I watched this. No, we must experience Jesus for ourselves and be a witness about that experience. So in my life, I've been reading through Psalms 31. And in Psalms 31, God is reminding me that he is a refuge that he is a rock, that he is my fortress. And three different times in Psalms 31, it uses the phrase steadfast love. So I've been reminded that when the darkness of stress and feeling overwhelmed begins to fall on my life, that I need to run to God who is my rock. And I need to recognize that even if I mess it up, which I'm probably going to, even when I make mistakes throughout this journey, that his love is steadfast, that it is unchanging. And here's what that means in my life. My natural tendency when the stress begins to to fall on me is to just grit my teeth and I'm going to make it through this on my own and I can do this. I just got to be tough and get through the darkness. No, no, no. And Jesus is saying, stop trying to grit your teeth and get through it on your own and run to me because I'm the rock and my love will never change. So a few times this week when I felt the stress, the darkness beginning to overwhelm me, I just had to go to Jesus and say, you're the rock. Your love is unchanging. I I need you in the midst of this. See, I'm a primary source, witness, about the life-changing power of the light of the world named Jesus. So in your life, are you a primary source or are you a secondary source? For a lot of us, sometimes we talk about, oh, she ate the Reese's and it tasted good, and I saw this person. No, no, no. Have you ate the Reese's? What did it taste like to you? In other words, we can't just say, oh, I've seen Jesus change her and Jesus change him. No, what has Jesus done in your life? And have you tasted and seen that he is good? And have you spent time with him and walked away from that time wanting more? See, Jesus commands us to be primary source witnesses about him. So some of us need to look in the mirror and think, okay, what do I need to do in order to spend time with Jesus instead of watching everybody else spend time with Jesus? Because it's not enough to just be a secondary source. Jesus has called us to be primary source witnesses of him. And and here's why that matters. Because Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? And if we're sitting here telling 
our friends and the people we love that are in darkness and they're looking for any kind of answer. If we're saying, hey, Jesus has changed them and Jesus has changed her, they're gonna say, what has he done for you? And if we can't answer that question, we've lost credibility. But if Jesus really does change everything, then we need to let him change us so that we have credibility when we go to others and invite them to allow him to change them too. This is our purpose as Jesus followers. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you may be wondering, um, excuse me, where do I land in this? Like, I'm not following Jesus, so where do I land in this whole idea? Two thoughts for you that can hopefully help you. Number one, this conversation shows you the cost of following Jesus. So if right now you're considering following Jesus or at some point you begin to consider following Jesus, you know up front the cost is surrender. The cost is giving up control. The cost is recognizing that your purpose in life cannot center on you, but it must center on Jesus if you are going to follow him. So at least you know what you'll be getting into. And the second thing is this. If when you ask the question, what is my purpose, if you're left with some emptiness, and look, maybe you, it's just a little bit, and you can kind of brush it off and get on with your life most days. But if you ask the question, what is my purpose, and the answer that you come up with leaves you with any bit of emptiness, know that Jesus is offering you a life filled with purpose. See, here's what most of us recognize, if we're brave enough to be authentic and admit it, is that if we're the best thing in the world, the world's not a great place. <laughs> Like, even if we build our lives around us and if our purpose revolves around me, secretly we're hoping that there's something bigger than me that I can build my life around. And there is something, and his name is Jesus, and he's the light of the world. And so if you're here and you're saying, man, what is my purpose? And when I ask that question, there's just emptiness. Jesus is offering you a life filled with purpose, a life bigger than yourself, where you're following him, experiencing him, and then telling others about so let's look back at Acts 1.8, and, and we're going to see that our, we not only have a purpose, but our purpose has a direction towards it. Acts 1.8 is going to be on the screen, and the direction that we're given is that we need to be witnesses in some different areas, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And for Jesus' audience, here's what he's just done. He has covered every geographical area their minds can comprehend. Like their minds just went, he just said the whole world. Because that's what Jesus said to them. So here's what Jesus is trying to communicate. We should be his witnesses wherever we are. That we should be his witnesses wherever we are. And this is so ingrained in the DNA of public church that one of our core values reflects this very idea. I want to invite us to read this core value together. Ready? Go. We strategically engage wherever we are to point people to Jesus. And point people to Jesus is another way of saying, be a witness about the light. This is what John did. Wherever he was and whoever he was around, John the Baptist was unwavering in his purpose to point people to the life-changing light of Jesus. So here's a little background on John. He lived way out in the wilderness. Anybody in this gathering live around the Bucks Pocket area? I know you two do. You got a little Bucks. Oh, yeah, we got a few Bucks Pocket people. Look, John the Baptist is your kind of person because he lived like in the Bucks Pocket of Israel, all right? He lived way out of town. And if John was around today, he'd probably be featured on the cover of GQ because of the way he dressed. He actually wore camel skin 
Kind of weird. That's not normal for that day, in case you don't know the context. And he would put a leather belt on. I guess that just made it pop for some reason. It's like that just set off the camel skin, you know, a leather belt. So we wear a camel skin with a leather belt way out in the buck's pocket of Israel. And if that wasn't strange enough, his diet consisted of locust and wild honey. So if you have accidentally eaten a bug and it didn't taste good, maybe you just missed the secret ingredient, which is wild honey. So if you find a bug today, you can just dip it in honey and you can be like John the Baptist. Some of our middle school boys are like fired up about community groups. They're gonna be like, hey, you bring the honey, I'll find the bug and afterwards we can be John the Baptist. It's gonna be awesome. But this is who John is. And here's the thing about John. John didn't spend his time caring what other people thought about him. John didn't spend his time conforming to the standards of society and trying to fit in. Why? Because he knew his purpose and he was unwavering to fill his purpose to be a witness about the light. See, sometimes we start talking about being a witness, we immediately begin to look at others. And man, he does that so well, and she does this so well, and oh, if I was just like that, if I just had this talent like he has, then I could be a witness. And all the while, God is saying, no, I uniquely designed you to reach people that really only you can reach. So just start with accepting who you are and start reaching the people that you're designed to reach. See, John reached people in ancient Israel that Mr. Slick from the city never would have reached. And the thing is, some of us label things in our lives as quirks, and look, I'm a little weird, so I get it. But those things that we label as quirks, God views as tools that he's going to use to allow us to reach people that only we can reach. So if we're going to be a witness wherever we are, it starts with accepting who we are. And this starts with looking around. And in every single environment we find ourselves in, Asking the question, how can I be a witness here? See, John spent a lot of time in the wilderness. But at one point in his life, John was in prison. And really, location was irrelevant for him. Whether he was in the wilderness or whether he was in prison, he was a witness to the light. And if you want to know more about John's life, and if you want to taste and see that Jesus is good, I'd encourage you this week to just read the rest of John chapter 1. It's an awesome story about John the Baptist's life, and it also is going to give you an opportunity for yourself to eat the Reese's, to spend time with Jesus and see what he's like. And in the rest of that chapter, just to give you a little overview, John's in the wilderness and the religious religious leaders come to him. And when they come to him, he simply just points them to the light. He's a witness about the light. And then after that, in verse 29, I love how this verse begins. Verse 29, so he's just spent time being a witness to the religious leaders. And it says this, the next day, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which was a very relevant way of saying he is the light of the world. And then look with me at verse 35. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. I love that it says the next day, the next day again, because for John, being a witness wasn't a Sunday thing. This was an everyday thing. He witnesses about Jesus, and the next day he wakes up, and he witnesses about Jesus, and the next day he wakes up, and he witnesses about Jesus, and that's what it means to be a public church. So our vision statement's going to be on the screen, and I want to invite us to read it together just to be reminded of what God has called us to. Ready? Go. Develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. See, developing a public church means that we blur the lines between what happens on and off our campus. 
In other words, whether we're on this campus, whether we're off this campus, every single day our purpose is unchanging and our purpose is to be a witness about the light. And then it says invite the people, invite people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. That simply means point them to Jesus because he can change them. This is who we're supposed to be as a church and this is who we're supposed to be as the individuals who make up Jesus's public church. So a question we have to ask is this, what is my sphere of influence? We've got to ask the question, what is my sphere of influence? In other words, where do I spend a lot of my time and how can I be a witness about the light there? So for me, I I coach high school football. And so on Monday in my journal, I wrote the question, how can I point people to Jesus at football? And I'm the first to tell you that I miss tons of opportunities. I mean, it's embarrassing how many opportunities I miss. But Jesus is changing me and focusing me and challenging me that if I'm going to be a part of developing a public church, then I've got to go to football practice and I've got to be a witness about the light there. So for you, what is your sphere of influence? Maybe it's the place you work. So work, does your boss, your coworkers, do your employees, do they see Jesus in you? What about the places you eat? You get coffee. The place you get frozen yogurt, which we all know is Perkett's. It's really, I'm just kidding. If you work at another frozen yogurt shop, I'm sorry. Perkett's is just the best. I mean, it's just facts. And so, but where do you eat? Where do you get coffee? Where do you get frozen yogurt? Where do you hang out? In those places, do the cashiers, do the waiters, do the waitresses, do the custodians, do they see Jesus in us there? What about where we work out? What about where we play? What about where we shop? What about where we study? What about where we live? Do the people who live with us see Jesus in us? Because if we're going to be witnesses, we must strategically engage wherever we are to point people to Jesus. See, this idea is huge, and it's so relevant because here's the facts. There are people in our spheres of influence who are overwhelmed by darkness, People who are wondering, is there any answer to the darkness surrounding me? And we have the answer. We get to step into those places and offer them Jesus. And so here's what this means if you're overwhelmed. If you're so overwhelmed that you can't even think about your purpose, now work has a purpose. Even in the midst of all the stress, your purpose is to go into work and point people to Jesus, to be a witness about the light, that coach that you can't stand playing for. Now all of a sudden there's a purpose in that. If you're here and your marriage is seemingly falling apart and you just don't feel like fighting anymore and you don't feel like digging in and going home and putting any work in, there's now a purpose to that. The class that you hate, there is a purpose to that. And the purpose is that Jesus put you there to be a witness about him. So that the people that are in that sphere of influence that are just oppressed by darkness will see that he is the light and that they can find freedom in him. This is absolutely huge for our world. See, everything we do matters, and everywhere we are matters, because we got to be a witness in all our circumstances. And so to finish John's story, in John 1.8, the author actually writes something that seems kind of strange. John chapter 1, verse 8, here's what it says about John the Baptist. It says, John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This seems kind of redundant, doesn't it? Oh, we got it. His purpose is to bear witness about the light. Why in the world is it saying that John isn't the light? Here's why. Because way out in little buck's pocket of Israel in the wilderness, John began to get famous. He began to draw huge crowds. And even though it was difficult to get out to him, people would sacrifice to get to John, to hear him speak, to talk to him, and to be baptized by him. So it'd been very easy for John to lose his purpose. It'd been very easy for John to forget that he's not the light and to just start saying, yeah, come on out to the wilderness. Check out my camel skin. Yeah, here's a locust for you dipped in honey. Yeah, come to me. It'd been very easy for John to become all about John. In fact, people tried to make him that. People would come out to the wilderness and say, are you the light? Are are you the light? And every time somebody asked him that, he was emphatic. No, I am not the light. I am a witness to the light. Because here's what John knew. When people began to look to him, it was his role to guide them to look through him and see Jesus. That when people looked to John, he had to guide them to look through him to see Jesus. Jesus. See, for us, if we'll walk out of this gathering and if we'll begin to carry the hope and love of Jesus into our spheres of influences, people are going to notice because it's going to require us to serve. It's going to require us to be that guy, that woman in the office who takes the trash out every time. And you know what I'm talking about because nobody else wants to take the trash out and they walk in the door like, almost full, not going to go in there today. And you're the person that's going to walk in there every day and say, yep, I'm taking out the trash in the name of Jesus. And when you begin to serve like that, People are going to notice when you're the person in class, in the office, that actually has time to listen to people and to listen to them and pray for them when they're having a bad day, people are going to notice and people are going to begin to look to us. And it's our job to guide them to look through us and see Jesus. As a church, if we keep leaning into what Jesus is doing, he's going to continue to change lives. He's gonna to continue to do amazing things and people can very easily begin to look at us and say, are you the light? And think that we're the attraction. And that's why one of our strategies is that Jesus is the main attraction, that everything we do is about him. So as a church, when people are gonna say, hey, are you the light? No, 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 we're not the light. We're a gathering of Jesus followers whose role is to be witnesses of the light. So when people look to us, we're gonna say, don't look to us, look through us and see Jesus. And if we'll do that, Jesus will do far more than we could ever imagine. How do I know that? Because it's a consistent message in the Bible and because it happened in John's life. See, when John had people looking to him and he said, no, look through me and see Jesus, then Jesus did far more than he ever could have imagined. In fact, one day he was standing with two of his disciples and Jesus walked by and he looked at two of his disciples and he said, he's the light. And his two disciples left John and followed Jesus. Here's what they, this means. These two guys had given their lives to follow John the Baptist. I mean, that was their whole life. So when they walked away from John, he was losing security. He was losing support. His life immediately got harder. And yet he said, look, I'm not the light, Jesus is. So even if my life gets harder, go follow him. Is there a more selfless act? And with that selfless act, a guy named Andrew left John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. It says very soon, Andrew had a brother. His brother's name was Peter. 
And Andrew went and grabbed Peter and said, hey, you have got to find Jesus. We found the light of the world. Come, come find Jesus. And this guy named Peter became a Jesus follower. You know, it's interesting that in the story, we don't see John the Baptist and Peter ever interacting. But, but John started off this chain reaction through a selfless action. That, hey, don't worry about me. You go follow Jesus. I'll be fine. Don't, even while life gets harder, it's about him. And as Andrew followed Jesus, then Peter began to follow Jesus. And if you don't know anything about Peter, just to give you some background, he became the leader of the disciples. Man, he messed up a lot. But even as he messed up, he continued to let Jesus change him. And one day, after Jesus had rose from the dead and returned to heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter stand, stood up to speak and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. That's 3,000 people that were going to hell and he finished talking and now they were going to heaven. Now they had purpose and life through a relationship with Jesus. And it all started with John. It all started with John's selfless act to say, it's not about me, it's about him. Don't look to me, look through me and see Jesus. If we'll do that, Jesus will do far more than we could ever imagine. So who's your Peter? Better yet, who's your Andrew? Because you may not ever meet your Peter. Coaches, Peter may be your quarterback's son who's gonna be born seven years from now. Peter may be your offensive lineman's daughter who's gonna be born seven years from now. You may not ever meet that person, but because that offensive lineman, that quarterback is your Andrew and you point Andrew to Jesus, then one day Andrew will point Peter to Jesus. And who knows how many thousands of people might become Jesus followers as a result. Parents, your Peter might be somebody that your kid meets in college one day and you never even meet them. But because your kid is your Andrew and you just pour your life into them and teach them what it means to follow Jesus, that one day they impact Peter and thousands of people come to follow him. Who's your Andrew that God has put in our lives that we can be a witness to today? <laughs> and then one day, Andrew will meet Peter. See, for us, we have an incredible opportunity as Jesus followers to step into God's unimaginable plan and play a huge role. So will we do it? You know, there's really no excuse for us not to. So here's some suggestions and we'll end with this on how we can be a witness about the light. Number one is, if you have time tonight, you can just come back after the 5.30 gathering and our International Friends Network is just playing soccer. I think it's pretty clear that when Jesus said, go into Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, that Jesus loves the nations. And so you can just show up and play soccer and love the nations tonight and be a witness about the light just through a game. The next thing you can do, it's so simple, is you can just invite somebody to a gathering. I wanna let you know we've had October 1st circled for about two months and we have some really special stuff planned for next week. So you can just say to somebody, hey, would you come to a gathering with me? Because gatherings are life-changing environments where Jesus does crazy stuff in people's lives. And then it could be as simple as you saying, hey, I'm gonna start coming to the 5.30. I'm not gonna come to the 11.30. Instead, I'm gonna come to the 5.30 because when we make room for Jesus, or when we make room for people, we create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. And you may think, man, it's just one seat. What does my one little seat matter? Maybe Peter's gonna sit in your seat and who knows how many untold thousands are gonna surrender to Jesus because you just gave up a seat and gave Jesus an opportunity to change a life. And you know, the end goal is never just inviting someone to a gathering. The end goal is inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. That's the vision to invite people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. So we actually have a resource called Public Disciples Booklet. And in it, it actually has a section. It's pretty cool. I'll let you guys um, vouch on the front row to say I'm not lying. But it says tips on how to invite people to follow Jesus, right? Not lying. Tips on how to invite people to follow Jesus. 
So if doing that sounds overwhelming to you, pick one of these up off the coffee table. You can access a copy through our public church app and literally tips, things you can do tomorrow to begin to take steps towards being a witness about the light. So there's really no excuse. Jesus has said, if we're gonna follow him, that means we must be witnesses about the light. So what's the action he's leading you to take? And if you're not a Jesus follower, Jesus invites you to step into a life filled with purpose that's bigger than you. And so if you wanna do that, you can just pray right now and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, and I want the purpose that you offer. I want a life filled with meaning that's more than just about me. Would you give me a relationship with God? And he'll do it, he'll change you forever. The light will shine in your darkness right here in this moment. And all we ask is tell us because we wanna celebrate with you. So these next few moments, whether you're a Jesus follower, whether you're not, we have an opportunity to reflect, to continue to be still. And think about the question, what is my purpose? And think about what it's gonna take for us to begin to step into and live out our purpose. And so if you need to talk to somebody about anything, you want somebody to listen to you or just pray with you, there'll be a leader from the refuge room that's underneath this exit sign and would love to talk with you and invite you just to reflect, to visit the person in the refuge room. And when you're ready, we're just gonna stand and sing about the life-changing power of the word of God. But this is just one more moment for us to be still and reflect. So Jesus, we wanna be still and know that you are God, that you will be exalted in the earth, that you will be exalted among the nations and you invite us to be a part of that. And so we thank you for that privilege, Jesus. And I pray that you would show us how we can step into that privilege. You give us the courage to begin to invite people to follow you, to be the witness you've designed us to be. And I pray for people that don't yet know you, that they would see the incredible life of purpose that you have to offer to them. Continue to move in all of our lives and change us. Jesus, it is all about you.